Will Italy have its first female prime minister? A right-wing coalition led by Giorgia Maloney is set to take a majority of seats in parliament. That'll pave the way for the country's first far-right government since World War II. So what will that mean for Italy and Europe? I'm Hazem Seeker, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Well, let's bring in our guests now. Joining us uh, via Skype from Rome is Cecilia Emma Sotilotta. She is Assistant Professor of International Relations and Global Politics at the uh, American University of Rome. Joining us via Skype from Brussels is Peter Klepper. He is Editor-in-Chief uh, at uh, the BrusselsReport.eu. And joining us from Paola is Andrea Mamone, a historian at Sapienza University in Rome. A warm welcome to all of you. So, um, Cecilia, if I could start with you, what are Italians uh, hoping to get from uh, Giorgia Maloney then, particularly on the, on the economic issues? I think that the main issue that Giorgia Meloni will need to tackle uh, is the cost of living crisis. Um, uh, it, the Italian electorate has been uh, very much dissatisfied with traditional parties uh, over the past few years. And uh, probably the um, excellent result that uh, Giorgia Meloni obtained in yesterday's election was also um, sort of caused by and helped by this dissatisfaction. So uh, now it's the time for her to deliver, I guess, on uh, on electoral promises. Andrea, do you think she will have much scope to, to put um, many of the ideas she wants into practice against this, this backdrop of, of the economic problems that were mentioned there, energy shortages, inflation, a, a looming recession, possibly, and uh, the war in Ukraine? Uh, well... I don't know what she will be able to deliver, honestly, because what we have seen, as usual, in the electoral campaign is lots of propaganda from the majority of parties and, and coalition. I'm 100% sure that she will make uh, life much harder for immigrants, for example, in Italy. And also there will be some issues in terms of civil rights, social rights, especially I'm talking about the LGBT community, but also the rights for abortion for women. In terms of international politics, I mean, she claimed all over the campaign also to reassure the international partners that she will be backing Ukraine, the European Union, and the NATO, so the transatlantic alliance with uh, the United States. Uh, I think that we, she will try to do so as much as possible, but clashes uh, are possible. We have seen that not necessarily uh, far-right parties joining a governmental coalition or leading a co governmental coalition, they moderate themselves. Uh, the, last, the, the last election we had a government with a league led by Matteo Salvini, which didn't uh, moderate. There was a radicalization of such uh, cabinet, leading to clashes with other European countries for the refugees and migrants coming to Italy. Let's broaden this out then, uh, talk about um, uh, Italy's dealings with the European Union. Peter Klepper, um, it's been said by one of uh, uh, Ms Maloney's opponents that the European Union will lose an engine and acquire a, acquire a break with Georgia Maloney. Do you, you think that's true? Or, is she, I mean, do you think, expect things to be contentious or is she, she going to have to make some compromises? 
Well, it depends what you're talking about. Um, it's clear that Meloni uh, is very keen on uh, on the European funds uh, that um, that will flow from the the EU's uh, COVID recovery fund. Of course, uh, she wants to spend it to different things that um, uh, the preceding government uh, was going to spend it on. Uh, but I think um, when it comes to that, Meloni is not going to rock the boat. Uh, she likes that money. Uh, however, when it comes to things like immigration, uh, Meloni is definitely not going to um, sign up to the, the plans that some of the European commissioners have in mind uh, for immigration. She actually wants to follow the Danish and the British model uh, to sort of end the, the migration chaos that we see. Uh, and of course, to, to do that, uh, she's looking at, um, you know, uh, outsourcing asylum processing. I think people should understand that this is actually in itself unrelated to whether you want less or uh, more migration. Uh, it is basically a way to make sure that um, migrants can only enter the territory after they have received um, a yes. And it's very interesting to see also Italy now um, likely to, to uh, pursue that, that course. Cecilia, do you think uh, this, this government led by Maloney, as expected, is going to have to make some, some compromises? I mean, she's already sounded conciliatory in, 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 in her victory speech. So what, what do you expect there? Yes, absolutely. I, I really think that her top priority right now is going to be to reassure uh, both the Italian public and uh, Italy's uh, partners in terms of foreign policy. Uh, so uh, just to add something to what uh, previous speakers were saying about the European Union, um, I expect Giorgia Meloni to be uh, very compliant when it comes to, uh, for instance, uh, finances. Uh, Italy has a huge amount of government debt. We all know that. We're talking about 150% of GDP. Uh, and she's very well aware. Uh, she's very aware of the constraints that come with uh, being members of the Eurozone. And she already changed her rhetoric during the campaign. I mean, it was easy for her when she was in the opposition to be very critical of Mario Draghi's cabinet and the European Union, uh, but we noticed uh, a shift in her rhetoric as the campaign proceeded towards much, much softer conciliatory sort of uh, tones vis-a-vis uh, -vis the European Union. So I think she's going to make some compromises. For sure. Yeah, let, let's put that point then to to Andrea about the, the sort of the change in tone. Um, because it, it kind of begs the question of, of what does Giorgia Maloney truly uh, believe. I mean, she represents this party that has its roots in Italian uh, fascism, uh, and yet she has kind of softened her tone on a number of issues. What do you make of that? She had to, because, I mean, naturally, when re she released that video, uh, the video talking about uh, fascism, which in reality she was not uh, say, I mean, she said that, you know, fascism was an evil in terms of being a dictatorship and so on, but she, she never, never said that Mussolini is the, has been the worst prime minister in Italy and a dictator and something terrible for the country. So she had to change the tone and she had to, she had to reassure the international partners. But this is a, 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 a far-right party, an 100% far-right party. Uh, all the policy in terms. So, you, you, you're su are you suggesting the change in tone is not genuine on her part? Because it's, I mean, if you want it's to purely outsource, political. 
Yes, but I mean, all this is, is, I mean, if we look at, for example, the immigration side, which is something that she has touched up on, I mean, this is xenophobic, this is far right. Uh, also, the approach that she had towards the European Union just before the election, just before the electoral campaign, it was very uh, controversial. I mean, we shouldn't forget that the previous program of the party, of the coalition, was highly critical of the European Union. So she, she knew that she was going to win because surveys were clear on that. But I don't really believe that there has been a change in what the party really believe in terms of protecting the nation, protecting Christian values within the nation, being against, for example, same-sex marriages, uh, being against, as I said before, immigration, and all these type of issues which are similar to other far-right nationalist parties across Europe and the West. So, I mean, there is it's simply trying to present itself present the party in a different way. But, I mean, the reality, the core of the party is still neo-fascist and 100% far-right. Peter Klepper, what, what, what comparisons would you draw then between uh, this far-right movement in Italy, the Brothers of Italy, and elsewhere in Europe? Because um, we, we, we saw another uh, election in Sweden a couple of weeks ago in which a far-right party there... Uh, did very well and is now going to be a major part of, of, of the next government there. How, how, how does this, how do they compare? How do the Brothers of Italy compare with, with them and with this far-right wave of populism that swept across parts of Europe? Well, it's a very interesting question because I think in both cases, both in Sweden and, and Italy, you can see very uh, dodgy, dirty uh, origins. Eh? Uh, the, the fascist, uh, post-fascist movement in Italy is clearly linked with her party in Sweden, uh, the Sweden Democrats were started uh, by skinheads, really, uh, by national socialists. Uh, but I do think in both cases, I mean, there are objective uh, changes in, in official policy stances. Certainly in Sweden, I think, um, yeah, the party is, I think, slightly populist, but it's, it's very close to the, to the centre-right. I guess it also depends which politician you're talking about. If you, if you listen to Meloni, for example, on Russia, I mean, she herself has also changed her, uh, her stance. She has, uh, you know, congratulated Putin back in 2014 for conquering Crimea and, and also congratulated him with his uh, quote-unquote election. Um, but now she has been very, uh, solidly in favor of, of Ukraine uh, this year. So I think that's also uh, un undeniable. And this is, I think... Um, typical for wider trend of these kind of anti-establishment parties across Europe, that they feel that in order to, to get to power, they have to abandon some of their, you know, um, bad uh, luggage, so to speak. Um, and, and in itself, that's, you know, that's, of course, a welcome uh, development. You know, it's good that uh, parties that were holding more authoritarian opinions are abandoning those. Uh, but obviously, we'll have to see in practice whether they stick to those. Um, I do think that in the case of Meloni, uh, when it comes to Russia, she will. Um, let's not forget that it's not only in Italy, but also in France and Germany, where politicians have been a lot more uh, careful when it comes to the sanctions, for example. And itself, it's normal. You know, it's good that with, among European democracy, you have a healthy, uh, healthy debate. But ultimately, um, you know, there was a united front uh, against the Russian aggression. 
And I personally think in the end uh, also Italy will stick uh, with the, uh, the European alliance and the Western alliance um, on this topic. Now, as with all Italian governments or recent Italian governments, uh, she, she's not going to be able to govern on her own, uh, Cecilia. She's got to uh, uh, form a coalition with um, uh, Matteo Salvini's uh, uh, League uh, and uh, uh, Berlusconi's Forza Italia party. And it, it's been reported that there are some internal tensions there. Um, there was this tape of uh, uh, Salvini making some disparaging remarks about her, and it's... It's been rumoured that Berlusconi doesn't uh, doesn't get along with her either. How 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 difficult is that going to be to to keep the strands of that coalition together? This is the big question that everybody's uh, asking, right? Uh, how long will this coalition survive? Now, um, uh, we have to consider that um, Italy hasn't really turned right in the sense that Meloni didn't really steal votes from the left. Uh, the transfers of votes uh, have been mostly internal to the coalition. Actually, um, Matteo Salvini gave a press conference uh, a few hours ago, and it was pretty livid because his party had lost a lot and had lost a lot to Meloni's party. So he was uh, obviously like uh, trying to say that they are absolutely, they are a solid majority, the, the solid coalition that are going to rule the country for five years. They're aligned, but many questions by the uh, journalists um, were pointing to his possible regrets or perhaps uh, problems with the fact that uh, Meloni did better than him. So uh, I, I would say that the first obstacle will be a disgruntled uh, Matteo Salvini uh, as a junior coalition partner. Uh, and naturally, Berlusconi. Berlusconi is also uh, a question mark, I would say. Berlusconi uh, is another big personality. I mean, all of them are big egos, big personalities. And Berlusconi um, clearly wants to be the kingmaker uh, within the coalition. So I, I think that she will have to overcome a number of challenges, not just uh, externally speaking, but also within her own coalition, especially considering that this is going to be a very, very harsh winter um, in, in for Italy and for Europe in general with the energy crisis, with the cost of living going up and uh, a lot of room for perhaps uh, uh, contestation uh, inside and outside of the coalition. Uh, Andrea, if we look at the, the, the pattern of uh, Italian elections over the last few years, there does seem to be uh, kind of waves of popularity for uh, anti-establishment um, uh, parties. There was uh, uh, Matteo Salvini's League um, a few years ago and then uh, the Five Star Movement before that. Um, but each one of them just kind of fizzled away. Do, 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 you, do you expect a, a similar thing to continue here? Is this, is this just a, uh, the next wave? It's possible, it's possible because, I mean, these votes are going up and down, but as my colleague was saying, here we're not talking about a movement like the Five Star uh, suddenly, suddenly gain, gaining votes from everywhere in the political system. We're talking about, as she was saying, an internal uh, job in the sense that uh, Meloni was taking, was taking, is taking these votes from her allies. It is possible that, you know, in terms of surveys, they will lose votes. Add. But at the end of the day, what it, what is matter? What what it matter is essentially the fact that they have a majority, so they will not lose those MPs over the legislature, which means that they can change things even if 
surveys are going down. So it's possible that there will be problems. It's possible that, you know, like there will be people doing fascist salutes in the party and even uh, key militants doing these type of things and there will be caught and there will be scandals and so on. But, you know, like uh, having a governmental crisis is a much more complex issues and it will also depend of the international, on the international setting. Uh, Peter Klepper, um, do you fear that Italy could go the same direction as Poland or Hungary? And I, I mentioned those two countries because these are, these are countries in where the, the far-right governments uh, have not only been consistently popular, but they've been accused of, of backsliding on democracy and, and changing, uh, changing the system to suit them. Uh, there's a fear that a similar situation might happen with Maloney, particularly that she's been... Uh, she's had a lot of good things to say about... Uh, uh, Viktor Orban, the, the, the uh, leader of Hungary? Well, at least if you ask uh, the Commission President, uh, Ms. Uh, Ursula von der Leyen, uh, she found it necessary this week to sort of uh, threaten Italy uh, with the Poland-Hungary treatment. She said if, uh, if, if the vote doesn't go the right way, we have certain tools, quote-unquote, at our disposition. I mean, I would not say that's a very smart thing to say just before... Um, uh, a democratic election uh, coming from a non-elected uh, European Commission official. Uh, now, um, you know, at the European Union level, uh, indeed, uh, often, of course, you have these attempts to try to, you know, uh, um, contribute to uh, a better rule of law environment uh, in countries where, indeed, there are problems uh, in Poland and Hungary. Um, you know, there's many problems with that. The first thing is, of course, that you have often the risk of double standards. Nobody ever talks about Romania, Bulgaria, but there we have very serious uh, uh, problems with uh, with the rule of law. But, but because of political reasons, these countries sort of uh, can escape, um, you know, uh, the, the EU uh, EU criticism. Uh, also, I would say uh, it's it's very strange that uh, indeed you have these problems in Poland and Hungary, uh, but actually sometimes also also in Italy. You know, uh, when the um, the European Recovery Fund. Uh, was agreed, uh, you know, uh, senior officials of the Italian justice system were warning that uh, organized crime uh, was going to be ready to try to, you know, rip off a lot of that money. Um, that's already the problem with a lot of EU spending. So, so I would say if the European Union is so concerned about the rule of law in uh, certain member states, in organized crime, getting their hands on all that money, uh, perhaps they should, uh, you know, uh, start, uh, you know, uh, reducing um, these uh, funds. Uh, but there, you know, when we're talking about that, uh, then, you know, the, the EU institutions are never that enthusiastic because, of course, they're very keen on right. those um, on those funds. I'm just going to give what's probably going to be the last word on this to Cecilia. It's, it's worth remembering as well that Italian governments uh, generally uh, don't have a long life if the last 30 years is anything to go by. Uh, apparently, the average government last 20 months. Do you expect, uh, what are the prospects for this one? you expect the same thing to continue here? Well, actually, they have a chance to be uh, more stable uh, compared to other coalitions because, for for one thing, they are much more genuine, much more homogeneous. For instance, than the last uh, majorities, the last coalitions that uh, that Italy 
so in power. So that's one factor uh, of strength. If I j can just add something about uh, you know EU conditionality and disbursement of funds, I think that the problem with the COVID, the, the recovery plan in general, in general was that uh, it was an emergency situation. There was no room really there was no time to negotiate uh, i think conditionality uh, for italy or other countries and re let's remember that italy was the first country to be very hardly hit and italy also experienced uh, a lack of solidarity by large member states at the beginning of the pandemic right when germany and france for instance stopped the um, exports of protective uh, equipment uh, to to even to other EU member states. So the European Union was very, very concerned about restoring its image as uh, an actor that can intervene um, with a positive impact in, in crisis. I think that's what that explains uh, what, uh, you know, what the colleague was saying before oh. about the lack of a conditionality. And on that, we're going to have to leave it. Thanks very much uh, to all three of you, Cecilia, Emma, Sotilotta. Peter Klepp and Andrea Mamone. Thanks very much for being on Inside Story. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Mohammed El Aishi, Leah Harding, Michael Harwood, and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Philip Morrison. The program was edited by Andre Wusthazen, Lynn Nguyen, and Joe DeFrius. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Tuesday.